On this episode of Isolated But Not Alone, we're going to continue our discussion on the family from the Christian perspective. And up until this point, we've been developing a theology, and last time we talked about covenant. And today we're going to talk about grace, to forgive and to be forgiven. If you have been tuned into the previous podcast episodes, we've discussed the theology of a family involves four dimensions, covenant, grace, empowerment, and intimacy. And though on one of the previous podcasts we kind of defined generically what those meant together, we've been really kind of diving into each one. And today we're talking about grace. To forgive and to be forgiven. So stay tuned. Hi, this is James Rains, and you're listening to Isolated But Not Alone a podcast that seeks to bring mental health awareness to rural and isolated communities. I just wanted to take this time to let you know that this and other content produced by James Rains is not therapy and is not intended to be therapy or to replace therapy. Nothing in this podcast indicates or creates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek one in your area if you are experiencing any type of mental health symptoms. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as specific life advice, and it is simply for the purpose of education. Welcome back to Isolated But Not Alone. So if you've noticed, there hasn't been an episode released in a couple of weeks, and I just want to take the time to apologize to all my listeners for that. Unfortunately, on the last podcast, I discussed some health issues that I was currently having and that I've had for a very long time. And on the last podcast, I talked about the good news of finally getting medication that had been on shortage. Unfortunately, I had a flare-up due to the treatment after going almost two months without having the treatment. And so it kind of took me out of the game, so to say, for a couple of weeks. So I appreciate everybody's patience. And some of the nice comments that I got from folks who kind of know about this and have reached out to me and wished me good health. I want to just discuss, as we get started, how interesting it was that though most of my comments were positive, (laughs) there were some that were extremely negative. In fact, at least one or two individuals passive-aggressively informed me that my illness was the direct result of prayer, that people had been praying that I would be harmed, right? That God would hurt me, that God would do something to keep me from speaking out on spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse. And this is the first time that you've been tuning in. This podcast series on the Christian family actually began with a series and is a continuation, really, of that series on spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse, where I spoke out about a pastor and his wife who, for whatever reason, whatever knowledge, whatever wisdom they were utilizing, decided that it would be appropriate for them to, early in the morning, go to the home of a non-parishioner on the day of their daughter's 18th birthday and take her from the home. And the family has had no physical contact with their daughter since that time. And as I started to research the stories, I started to ask questions, because that is an event that causes one to ask questions. I realized very quickly that the rabbit hole was very deep. And the more I started asking questions, the more I started to connect 
things did not add up. And so I began a podcast to discuss it, to shed light on it, to shed light on spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse, how it looks, how it can be so subtle or very direct, and how we get ensnared by it, and how it can deeply wound us because of its connection with our spirituality, our personhood. And though a lot of people were engaged in that podcast, I got a lot of positive feedback, there was a group of individuals who were very angry at my podcast. Ironically, to my knowledge, it wasn't even the people that I was discussing, though it might be. But there was a group of people who come out of a fundamental, hyper-legalistic type of religious group who made it a point to discuss with me all the punishments that the Lord was going to heap upon me. Because in their mind, anything that goes in opposition to their narrow view of God is a direct attack, not on them, but on God, because that's what they've been taught. And so I wasn't attacking them. I wasn't bringing light to a, a serious injustice. I was attacking God. And therefore, because I was attacking God, God had to harm me and my family. I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. So it makes total sense why God should harm them. It makes total sense. Now, it might not be making sense to you as the listeners, but being in that world, that makes total sense to me. And yet, think of that logically, right? It doesn't necessarily connect, does it? that God would harm a three-year-old and a five-year-old because their dad spoke out on something that is wrong, that is harmful and hurtful to other people, that God talks about in scriptures as something is not right. But that's kind of the mindset. That's kind of the individual and the thought patterns that I've been dealing with. And this was one more opportunity for those individuals to kind of come out of the woodwork and make sure that I equated thought A to thought B, right? or I equated this belief to that belief, that I made the bridge from my illness that I've had ever since I was a child and the flare-up to punishment. Because things don't happen outside of that, right? Especially if those individuals have been praying that I would be harmed, that the Lord would shut my mouth in some way. So unfortunately for those individuals, that's not how I took it. (laughs) And so I am back after taking a time to heal. And so my resolve is even more than it was before, to continue to discuss this topic of spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse. And in this series, by educating individuals on family from the Christian perspective. So the last time that the podcast aired, I discussed covenant, the importance of covenant in the family, the importance of covenant as the foundation for family. In a marriage, it's when you say, I do or I will. You are agreeing, you are making a covenant with another person that you will do certain things or not do certain things. And you usually do that in front of some type of justice, right? Some type of power, religious authority, governmental authority, captain of a ship authority, right? You're doing it in front of somebody who seals that covenant in a sense with witnesses, right? Who are there to remind you of the covenantal vows that you made. And so today we're going to talk about grace, which is quite exciting, right? Grace is awesome. Grace is something that a lot of folks talk about, but don't actually live. In fact, on one of the previous podcast episodes on spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse, Greg Miller, Dr. Greg Miller, had made a comment on a podcast that he had done on spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse for Faithful and True that described individuals who use the language of grace, but don't provide that experience. 
and how powerful that is. You use the language of grace, just like you use the language of all kinds of things, right? You can say, I love people. I absolutely love people. And then do horrific things to people, right? Which goes against your statements, right? That language, that use of language, right? I love mercy, grace, kindness, but you should be severely punished for opening your mouth about something that we don't think is wrong that you do. We love you. We want to be in relationship with you. We want to be connected with you. God loves you, but don't do that and don't do that and don't do that and dress this way and act that way. If you don't, God will punish you. God will harm you. God will take all the things that you love away from you. And if you think this is like me exaggerating, unfortunately, I'm kind of minimizing my experience to make it more simplistic to understand. Because there were times that individuals who are not aware of this type of group would not quite understand the extreme examples of this. It just seems so crazy to use that term. It just seems crazy that individuals can interact in this way, use this language of grace, and then give you an experience that is completely lacking of grace, and then not see it. So when we talk about grace, really we're talking about unmerited favor. Basically, giving us something, providing something for us that we didn't earn. In fact, not only did we not earn it, we don't deserve it whatsoever. But yet that's the nature of God that he desires the establishment of structure, in this case grace, to strengthen the family. How many times you've been interacting with your family and somebody in the family has done something amazing, right? They have shown you some kind of favor, given you some kind of merit, and it just swells inside of you this feeling of love, safety, and connectedness. How about the opposite? (laughs) How many times has somebody in your family done something, said something, that has caused so much harm, that has caused so much pain inside of you? Something mean-spirited, something harsh, the opposite of grace. Grace needs to be in families for a reason, because it it builds up families and encourages individuals within the family to live to their full potential. It provides that opportunity to fail and that to be okay. Because oftentimes, especially with teenagers, what I've been noticing, especially with teenagers, is that it's easy to put a lot of burden upon them, right, to achieve to do, to be, to carry on. And when they fail in a house where there's not a lot of grace, what ends up happening is is that there's this struggle, there's this harshness, there's this performance-driven life that you are only okay if you succeed. When really the truth is, and the truth that I think a lot of folks want to portray, is that yes, we're frustrated, we're angry that you're not achieving, and we love you. It's okay. It's okay. And oftentimes, I know in my own personal life, I struggle with that, right? With a parent of little kids, right? When I see them doing something unsafe or I see them doing something that's like, how could you think about doing it that way, even though they're five and three, right? (laughs) And I, instead of providing grace, provide the opposite of that. And that's why I always say it's good to remind your children, whether they're teenagers or young people, that you love them, that they're okay, that it's going to be okay. And then it's okay to fail. It's okay to fail. We learn from failure. The book that we've been getting this information from describes these social arrangements as designed to mitigate hardship and misfortune and are also grounded in God's mercy. And how many times can we see that in our families? 
that time when we've had that relative mitigate so much damage, so much hardship, so much misfortune because of the grace they provide for us. I can remember a time when my sister was involved in a very traumatic car accident and had to be hospitalized for a long period of time and had to kind of relearn some things about walking. And as she was healing, I remember the family decided to throw an event to provide financing for her surgeries and her injuries. And I remember so many of our family donated all kinds of interesting and cool things in order to help raise those finances. Right? That's just a simple example of social arrangements in our families that are designed to mitigate hardship and misfortune. The Bible gives us kind of a cool example of this in Exodus 22, 25 through 27. If you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, you shall not deal with them as a creditor. You shall not exact interest from them. If you take your neighbor's cloak and pawn, you shall restore it before the sun goes down. For it may be your neighbor's only clothing to use as cover. And what else shall the person sleep? And if your neighbor cries out to me, I will listen, for I am compassionate. What a cool verse. I know a lot of times folks get kind of thrown off by the Old Testament and how they kind of feel like, oh man, God is really enacting justice on all kinds of different people groups, and there's not a lot of grace, it doesn't seem like. And yet, really, when you read it, there's grace kind of woven all throughout it. And this is one example where God is concerned about his people, and concerned about their welfare, and puts responsibility onto others, right? It puts responsibility onto us for justice, for social justice, for taking care of the needs of the less privileged, the disenfranchised. And yet, it seems like oftentimes we find ourselves in situations where we do the opposite of that. And some of that's for safety. I, I get that. I can think of times where people have been panhandling, to use that term, or asking for funds or money or food outside of like Walmart or Target or other places in urban areas where you want to really reach out and provide something for them and they don't look safe. And so I can understand that like apprehension there. And yet that's what God's asking us to do as a family and within our families. And oftentimes, as I said before, my experience is, is that families can be very harsh with each other and resist giving grace and not know how to deal with grace when it's given. I always remember when I was little, I can remember when I was little, I always had a struggle. My grandma would always give me some money occasionally. And you never knew like what to do, right? Because my mom would be like, give it back. They don't have a lot of money. Give it back to them. You don't need it. We'll give you money, right? And at the same time, like you would try to give it back and you would try to like do like crazy things, like sneak it in her purse, mail it back to her in a letter with no return address, right? And you felt guilty and ashamed. And yet at the same time, my grandma absolutely loved doing that. That was like the highlight of something that she could do. And so when I gave it back, it was hurtful, right? And so there was like this play back and forth with two people, one that was getting giving money, right, to provide grace in a way, and the other one rejecting that in a way because of the shame that came from somebody else in the family. And maybe you've experienced that before. And when you think about it, the act of divine love and forgiveness that we see in the life of Jesus is our basis for human love and forgiveness. Forgiveness bridges grace, both horizontally and vertically, meaning we extend what we've received. And that's kind of how the book discusses it. Grace does not repress needs or limit lives, but it does offer order and regularity. But it does so in a way that people's lives are enhanced. And that's kind of where we get grace, just simple 
grace and how powerful it is in our life. Now, don't get me wrong. People ask a lot of questions about what about law, right? That's just a Christian term for rules and regulations, right? Order. And grace really does that for us. The law, on the other hand, oftentimes provides a weight, kind of like being overweighted and trying to go swimming, right? It's not the best result. So our focus should be on the grace, not necessarily on the law. In fact, when we talked about families, oftentimes when grace is absence, law is definitely present. And law is a big burden on families. Doesn't mean you don't have order. Doesn't mean you have don't have regularity, rules, things like that. But it has those things under the mindset and the framework of grace and not punishment. Again, thanks for everybody who's listening. Remember, you might be isolated, but you're not alone. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast enough to share it with friends and family and reach out with any questions you might have about mental health, and we will do our best in future shows to answer those questions. And remember, it might feel like you're isolated, and maybe you are, but you're not alone.